We had so much fun preaching together last week. We thought we'd try it again together this week. I hope you don't mind. We're going to enter into the Sermon on the Mount again. We want to return to the Sermon on the Mount partly because it's so rich and full and beautiful to only hear it once would be like reading the cliff notes to a classic novel. You didn't read the book. But, but mostly because the Sermon on the Mount offers for us a vision of something more beautiful. A heart of something so much better in a world that is in such desperate need of something so much more beautiful. Do you know what I'm talking about? What we're talking about is a church in the Democratic Republic of Congo where a bomb goes off and lives are lost and trust is broken. What we're talking about are guns that go off again this week, destroying lives and ruining the fabric of a community in California and Washington and Iowa again this week. What we're talking about is more tanks in Ukraine and Russia promising retaliation and war raging on. It's all a lot. The Sermon on the Mount offers us a vision of something that's so much better. It can be hard. It can be overwhelming. Some of the things you might hear may make you wince just a bit. But if you lean in, if you look more carefully, it's so much more beautiful. So here we go again. It's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We're going to hang out in the second half of Matthew 5. Feel free to find it on your phone or a Bible where you are. We'll begin in chapter 5, verse 17. Listen carefully and listen well. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. Truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will fall from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever keeps even the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Truly, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You've heard that it was said, uh, do not murder, and anyone who murders is subject to judgment. But I say to you, if you are angry with a brother or sister, you're subject to the judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you're liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you're liable to the hell of fire. So therefore, when you're bringing your gift to the altar, if you remember that a brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift at the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother or sister, then return and offer your gift at the altar. And come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're on the way to court with him. Or your accuser will hand you over to the guard and the judge to the guard, and the guard will throw you into prison. And truly, I tell you, you will not be released until you've repaid every last penny. 
You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I say, don't even look at another lustfully. Or you've already committed adultery of the heart. If, if, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go to hell. Or if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. It's been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, anyone who divorces his wife, except in the case of unchastity, commits adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman causes her to commit adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those in ancient times, do not swear falsely, but keep the vow that you have made to the Lord. But I say don't swear at all, either by heaven, for that is God's throne, or by earth, for that is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for that's the city of the great king. And don't swear by your head, for you can't make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no, no. Anything else comes from the evil one. You've also heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I say to you, don't resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. If they want to sue you and take your tunic, give to them your cloak as well. If they force you to go one mile, go also the second mile. If they give to anyone who asks to borrow from you and give to anyone who asks. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you that you may be called children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the just and on the unjust and sends the rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. If you love only those who love you, what are you doing more than others? Don't even tax collectors do that. And if you greet only those who greet you, what good is it? Don't even Gentiles do that. You be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you're anything like me, I'm sure that all feels pretty overwhelming. And wherever you are, we're still surprised you didn't get up and leave. Because that's a lot to hear. What we'd like to do is circle our hearts around just one daunting line. And there are a lot of daunting lines in Matthew chapter 5. But just this one. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. What do you make of that? What are we supposed to do with that? I thought the whole gospel idea was the great escape from all of our imperfections, and yet here we are, here it is. Jesus 
says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And that unnerving line is actually only on the heels of so many other lines that leave us breathless with exhaustion. He's poking around where we seem most vulnerable. The murder, adultery, divorce, oaths section of Matthew 5 is actually kind of cool, and maybe if we can explore it with the logic that Jesus did, it might open up for us some freedom and hope. Jesus is playing here with the Ten Commandments. Maybe you remember in Exodus, God had led his people through Moses' leadership out of Egypt and into the promised land. And at this point, they're beginning to breathe the new air of a different way, a different kind of life together. And so God offered the Ten Commandments as a way of orienting their lives toward God and also toward the communities around them so that they might live in such a way where no one gets hurt and everyone has what they need, the Ten Commandments. And Jesus plays around with the last six here offering us a a fresh retelling. Let's see if we can remember each one. In Exodus, the fifth command, honor your father and mother. Actually, that one doesn't show up here in Matthew, so kids, you're off the hook. Nice. Uh, Don't murder. Here, Jesus says, don't even be angry. Don't commit adultery. Jesus says, don't even look at another lustfully. Don't steal. And I can't help but wonder, but here, if Jesus' command about divorce is his way of saying divorce is theft from a woman of her supply of resources and and the ways that she's getting along in life, don't steal. One of the Ten Commandments, don't lie. And Jesus says... Jesus starts talking about, don't, don't even exaggerate. Because if just let your word be your word. Just let your yes be, be your yes. Yes, and your no be no. And then, he, and then he says, don't covet your neighbor's stuff. And here Jesus gets creative and expands the command to mean give to anyone who asks Instead of not just being jealous of others, actually your life should overflow with generosity where it's give, give, give. So these 10 commandments that Jesus reinterprets here, the last six, aren't meant to be a list of rules to hem us in or keep us down. It's actually Jesus breathing new life into God's set of guidelines to help us live not just individually, in flourishing ways, but communally in ways that lead to life that's whole and life that's abundant and life where the vulnerable are supported. And so I wonder if together we could hear Matthew 5 that way as maybe good news. And and Jesus is saying, enter in. This is actually for your flourishing. This is actually for your good. Uh, My daughter, Ava, she came home from school uh, earlier this week. Ava, maybe you've met her, maybe not. Ava, she's just this six-year-old bundle of goodness. 
You hear her before you see her. She carries her emotions on her face before she even says anything. You know how she's feeling. She came home from school. I think it must have been Tuesday or maybe it was Wednesday. Some kid had picked on her, I'm assuming on the playground, said something that hurt her, a word that stung just a little. And what was worse, at least in Ava's mind, not only did he say something to her, but he said something to her friend. And if you if you want to raise Ava's ire, you pick on her friends. So she came home, and our family's kind of a little bit of an open book. She told each of us, and she told us all about it. And her older siblings, her older sisters, her three older sisters, they were, they were doing what you do when you kind of love someone. They were saddling up next to her. They were, they were, they were trying to make sure she felt safe and loved and protected, and they were asking her, asking her questions like, what's his name? What time do you get out of school? I'm going to throw him into the snow. So the next day, as I was bringing Aves to school, I thought maybe it'd be a good idea to de-escalate just a little bit, maybe peel back some of her older sister's vengeance instincts. So I said, hey, Aves, you know, maybe, maybe, we're, maybe you don't need to mention anything about throwing the kid into the snow, and maybe, maybe actually it would even be better, better for even your heart, if you would forgive if you would forgive him. And she looked at me. <laughs> I'm driving to school. And she looked at me. And I kind of looked at her. And she said, Dad, it's like you don't even care. <laughs> what I heard my precious six-year-old saying is, Dad, that's too hard. Dad, someone has to pay. Dad, someone has to be held accountable. Dad, something has to happen. Throw him in the snow, Dad. So let's just play it out. What, what, if, what if the older sister did show up at the school on Thursday afternoon and threw the kid in the school? What do you suppose is going to happen next? He's going to go home and tell his dad, and his dad's going to come to my house and throw me in the snow. And what do you think is going to happen after that? My dad's going to go to his house and throw him in the snow, and you see what happens. It just keeps escalating. Maybe Jesus had in mind a better way. Maybe Jesus had in mind a more beautiful way. So. so don't be angry. So don't even look at another lustfully. So give to anyone who asks. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. That's the call. That's the culmination of this playful engagement of the Ten Commandments that Jesus offers. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Be perfect. And I'm guessing a few of you are sitting there in your living rooms, maybe on your kitchen stools along the countertop, thinking to yourself, hey, pastor, could you back that one off just a little bit? Don't you have a Greek word or two that could get us off the hook? Yeah, it's almost like there's this huge long call and then there's an exclamation point at the end that can leave my jaw dropped. Be perfect. If you're a perfectionist, you're probably like, yeah, you're speaking my language and you're naming my greatest fear. I'm trying. I'm trying. I promise I'll try harder. Or maybe you're sitting there, you got dragged into this thing. It's kind of suspicious of things of church and not at all sure about 
Christians, and here we are talking about be perfect, and you've got your arms crossed, and you're like, yeah, talk about perfect now, but I've seen you out there. I've seen what you do in the conference room on Monday morning, and I saw you on Friday night, and I know what you did last summer. Be perfect. The word that Jesus is using is actually teloi. It's a derivative of the word telos, which is where we get our words like telescope or telephone or telegram. Telescope is that thing that allows you to see the stars in the sky that your naked eye can't see. And telephone brings close someone who's nowhere near. And telegram, I'm not exactly sure what that is, but you get the point. Telos, it's about bringing something closer that's otherwise far away. The, the command be perfect, the command tell us is not some moral aptitude or some achievement, but rather an invitation to be who you will become. The one who made you in the beginning and said, very good, is the one who wants you and, and who will redeem you in the end to be all God had ever imagined you could be, he wants you to live into that now. Be tell us, and the word is in the middle passive, which is a grammatical way of saying it's something that actually happens to you, is not done by you. This, this, this process of be, when you give yourself to all these, these things that don't be angry, don't lust, give, give, and give, it's a way of, be, of God doing in you what he always had in mind for you. Hmm. Become what God wants you to be. I like the way N.T. Wright puts it. In a book titled Matthew for Everyone, Jesus is not just giving moral commands. He's unveiling a whole new way of being human. So don't be angry. It'll kill you. That's not who you were meant to be. Don't, don't, don't look at another lustfully. The longer you objectify another human, the more objectified you become. You become less. Give to anyone who asks of you because all of this hoarding and accumulating and gathering and getting is just not as beautiful as giving and loving and serving and offering. Have you ever, have you ever volunteered in like a, a, a school or gone on a mission trip and however it works, though you're giving of yourself, you actually feel better about who you are? Becoming human. Have you ever had that experience where there's a relationship you're in that's broken, someone did something that hurt, or you maybe are the one who did something that hurt, and by some courageous gospel act, you find reconciliation and you experience forgiveness, and somehow your relationship becomes stronger? Being human. The command, be ye perfect, is an invitation to become, to allow God to do in us what he had always meant for us. I love this from C.S. Lewis. He says this in Mere Christianity. The command, be ye perfect, is not idealistic gas, nor is it a command to do the impossible. He will make the feeblest and filthiest of us into a god or goddess, a dazzling, radiant, immortal creature pulsating all through which, with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine. A bright, stainless mirror which reflects back to God perfectly, though of course on a smaller scale, his own boundless power and delight and goodness. The process will be long and in parts very painful, but... That is what we are in for, nothing less. 
he meant what he said. And if you don't mind a, a paraphrase of the be perfect verse from our teacher, Eugene Peterson, in the message, this is what he says. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. Your kingdom subjects, now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives toward you. Be perfect is not some sort of moral achievement. It's about redemption. And redemption is something that happens to you. Redemption is something that is provided for you. Become who God always meant for you to be. Before we close the chapter, the, the book on this chapter, we want to offer a little epilogue. We want you to remember who it is that is saying these things in the first place. Jesus is the one who saw the crowds and went up on a mountainside and sat down, and he's the one who said, be perfect. He is the one. He's the one. He's the one who went to the cross to forgive and down to the grave to defeat sin and death and rose up in resurrection that you might have life and have it everlasting. Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one while on the cross, though taunted to exact revenge, actually shouted, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus is the one who betrayed by one of his closest when he sat at table with his own betrayer on that night when it all went down. He, he gave him the bread and said, take, eat, this is my body for you, betrayer. Jesus is the one who, when denied by Peter three times on that same night after, and the rooster got after Peter, Jesus goes on to reinstate Peter and forgive him and make him the head of the church. Jesus is the telos. Jesus is the one. This is why the Apostle Paul would say, Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for all who believe. Christ is the righteousness of God for you. Christ fulfills the law, not you. And Christians believe in Christ. You're in Christ. So... Step up to the plate of the more beautiful way. Step up to the call of the Sermon on the Mount. Not because you're so holy. Not gripped with anxiety that you might fail. Not with the burden of getting it all right. But because you're in Christ and you belong and Christ's spirit is with you and Christ is making you who you will be bit by bit, more and more human. And when you fail and when you mess up, take heart because Christ is the one who fulfills the law, not you. Christ is the righteousness of God. Christ who has always been and always will be the righteousness of God on your behalf has given himself fully to you. This is the Jesus who lived by the Beatitudes, Jesus who sought out the poor in spirit and welcomed them so that they could belong. Jesus who actually loved those who it was hardest to love. Jesus who, whose grace is so deep that even the worst imaginable past and the deepest trauma could be pierced through by grace and be set on a trajectory toward wholeness and goodness. 
This is the Jesus that speaks a word of conviction to us here and now that we, we can't help but want to follow him. Jesus, whose love is so good and whose peace is so real. Jesus, Jesus the one who, who in whom a, a relationship with Jesus is the only way toward life and truth and goodness. Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And at the same time is offering us himself. Jesus is the telos, is the point. Jesus is the one. Jesus is perfection embodied and we follow Jesus. I got a, a text message on Monday night. I was, I was in the gathering space, uh, men's gathering we had hosted that night. It was called... Um, a life better than vacation. And we'll probably do a couple more of those coming up, so keep your eyes open. Uh, the text, I, the night was great, and the text I got made it even better. It was from my friend Sandra. Uh, Sandra uh, is my friend and also works here at Pillar. She's married to Blaine. They have two kids, uh, Henry and Jay. Jay, remarkably, can fall asleep anywhere at any time, regardless of what's going on around him. Uh, and Henry is this beautiful little boy, five-year-old boy with a heart so full and so kind and rambunctious and lively. His name means ruler of the house, and he's living into it in every way that he can. Uh, Sandra texted me. I'm just going to read you the text. I got a call from Henry's teacher today because he had been in a fight. I guess his friends were playing restaurant, and one of them wasn't playing nice with the kids. So, Henry fired him. The kid got really angry and started clawing Henry's face. And of course, she sent me a picture of the claw scratches. I went to pick him up, and the teacher was really worried about Henry, but said he was a good boy and came right to them. And I asked him what happened, and he said, Well, I didn't do a scratch for a scratch, like Jesus said. I just cried and told my teacher. I didn't do a scratch for a scratch, just like Jesus said, a more beautiful way. I didn't do a scratch for a scratch. If a kindergartner on the playground can go the more beautiful way, could there be a few of us, a couple of us, maybe some of us who follow Jesus in the more beautiful way in a world that is in such desperate need of something more beautiful. Be perfect. Because your Father in heaven is perfect. Amen? Mm. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Wherever you are, physically now, wherever you are, or wherever you are in life and faith, we want you to hear the one Jesus invite you to a table like this, the one Jesus, perfection embodied, the one Jesus who is forgiveness for us, who becomes redemption for us so that we can be all who he intends us to be. If you believe Jesus is Lord, you're welcome at this table. If you're not at that place in life or faith, we'd love to hear from you. Mm. We'd love to take a walk, hear your story, wonder with you about your curiosities and questions. I'm sure they're valid and we want to honor them. For those who do partake, maybe you've got bread and wine, maybe crackers and juice. You're invited to the table. Come as you're ready. <laughs>